Welcome, everybody, to episode number eight of the Gear and Beers podcast brought to you by Radio Shelter. This is going to be the last episode of 2017. Again, I don't have a guest because I don't want to pull anybody away from their family or any vacations that they might have uh, already planned. That being said, you are stuck with me again. Hopefully, it's not a bad situation for you, but I do not mind doing these. And given that we're doing episode number eight, it's a pretty cool feeling because I haven't quit yet. So that's pretty cool, right? As we're getting uh, ready for the new year, 2018, a lot of people are going to try to make new resolutions and things of that nature, trying to get better. I'm going to continue to be as awesome as I've always been. So I don't do that whole new year, new me bullshit. I'm the same person every year. Might get a little crankier than usual, but I'm still keeping it 100 and... uh, You don't have to worry about me changing. So lucky you. And as always, we are brought to you by Radio Shelter, in case I didn't mention that. And I am still continuing the tradition of drinking uh, brew while I do an episode. So right now I am drinking the Melvin 2x4 Double IPA. And uh, it's a 9.9% alcohol beer. And at the bottom, there's this pretty cool little thing that says recycle, sucker. So recycle. Don't be a dick. So today we're going to do something a little bit different in terms of how I'm capturing the audio. Last episode, I used the Studio One software because I forgot my iLock. This episode, I'm going back to Pro Tools. However, I'm recording on a PC rather than on my MacBook Pro Retina. I know we talked about... Mac versus PC and, you know, which one's better than the other. We are actually adding this PC out of necessity because we're getting kind of tired of lugging around our computers and having to hook them up to a dock here. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it'd be kind of cool just to show up with the hard drive, plug it straight in and then leave and not have to worry about, you know, having to use our personal computers or potentially forgetting our personal computers with an iLock. And then the cycle, you know, goes on and on. So to circumvent that, we are uh, installing a PC, or I have installed a PC here when uh, running Windows 10, Pro Tools 11, because 12 is a bit janky for me right now. And as always, we're running the RedNet system. Only this time, uh, I didn't go about installing the RedNet PCIe card to this PC. I'm using Dante Virtual Sound Card. And the way that works is it turns your onboard Ethernet card or you know network card as a interface, if you will. So it will send audio through that Ethernet port via the Dante network to any other Dante-enabled devices. So we take the Ethernet port of this Windows PC and then we connect that to our network switch. And then it communicates with all the other Dante devices, all our RedNet system, or our RedNet system here, I should say. So we got our RedNet 1, our RedNet 4, a RedNet D16, our RedNet PCIe card. And now this PC is going to be communicating with all those via Dante Virtual Sound Card. So we still have the dock here, the Thunderbolt dock set up in the event that we don't want to use the PC and we're more comfortable with the Mac environment. Because I can tell you right now, I am. been have been having a hell of a time getting back into the whole Windows environment. But 
you know, I'm almost there. I'm getting there. So hopefully soon I'll be able to not care and uh, just, uh, you know, go with it. Let me get going over here, trying to figure out my views in Pro Tools. So instrument.io, track color, blah, 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 blah. All right, let me take that out of here. I'm going to take this out of here. Perfect. Cool. So one thing that I noticed, I because I'm so used to the Mac environment, I always forget that the command key is going to be the Windows key. I'm using a Mac keyboard here right now, so it makes things a little bit harder. I still have my MacBook Pro Retina here with me, so I can do some fact-checking and uh, surfing the interwebs while I you know, record my vocals on here. And uh, yeah, I love it. My signal chain, as always, is going to be a or an SM7B running to a RedNet 4 for the mic pre. No fed head. I'm actually letting Caesar borrow those so you can try those out with some cool ribbon microphones. And hopefully I'll get those back next week. If not, then I'll just buy another pair and we'll leave those at the Shelter Studios. So as I was saying, RedNet 4 Pre. And then I'm sending that out via Dante to the outputs of the RedNet 1. And I'm patching into the JDK Audio R24 EQ. And then down to the Pro VLA 2 compressor back into Pro Tools. And in Pro Tools, I take that same signal and then I send it out to the Pro B2 Bomber and then back into Pro Tools via the RedNet D16. Last week, we covered a few topics. Uh, DAW selection, digital audio workstation, for those that don't know, or audio software, along with interfaces, you know, Mac versus PC. And I think that was it. I can't recall. This week... I want to do something a little bit different. As some of you may or may not know, aside from audio recording and mixing, I'm also a mastering engineer. In fact, that is pretty much what I want to start doing, concentrating on mastering and building my portfolio in terms of you know my mastering studio. So I went through a bit of a uh, overhaul on my website because I had a basic HTML website that looked pretty, pretty sad. I wanted to update that and get it going so that I can offer a little bit of, of a bang or a little bit of eye candy when people go visit my site. Rather than it being little, yeah, you know, all right, there's the information, but man, that thing fucking sucks. It's sad. It's like a fifth grader could have done a better website than me. Now I'm no coder. I'm not, you know, I know basic HTML, a little bit of Java here and there, but nothing too crazy for me to build an amazing website where I feel comfortable showing people. Typically, when anyone asks me, like, hey, you know, how can I check your stuff out? I just tell them to email me directly and I'll send them some samples or an old SoundCloud account, which I'm going to be deactivating this coming year. So I decided, hey, it's time for me to rebuild the website from scratch, make it a little bit better. And it took me about a month of planning and executing 
and I finally got it to where I am 100, well, I'd say 98% satisfied with it. I just need to fix a few things here and there, but it will go live December 31st, so tomorrow. I'm a little excited. As always, I am open to any suggestions as to what make what would make the site better, a lot more pleasant for people to visit, anything of that nature. So if you have any suggestions, comments, concerns, please shoot them over. Info at tssmastering.com. Always happy to listen to what people have to say about what can make my website more pleasant to visit. So that said, I use WordPress in case anyone's wondering. Definitely check that out. There's a lot of cool templates that you can use that you can manipulate. I use this one called Elementor, which is pretty fucking amazing for a dummy like me. It was drag and drop. Definitely a competitor to Wix. You can use a free one or you can buy the actual license for it. I know they have one that's like nine bucks and uh, one that's uh, two of them that are $49. I use a free one. It worked for me. It did whatever it needed to. Luckily, I knew enough of HTML and JavaScript to know what to change. Well, and also a little bit of CSS. Uh, that kind of helped me change it a little bit to where I liked it. But I can see why purchasing the actual license will be very beneficial because it gives you more control. So if you get an opportunity, please stop by www.tssmastering.com. And that is my mastering website. I also created a very basic one for the podcast, and that's gearandbeerspodcast.com. And the N is just a, the letter N, November. Spell it out, gearandbeerspodcast.com. So check that out. That was a very basic one. I'm going to redo that one as well. Since we're on the t- uh, topic of uh, me being a mastering engineer, I wanted to offer a little bit of insight as to what that entails. There are many, many descriptions out there for a mastering engineer. At one point, it was a very scientific process, a very technical process when it, was, uh, when it came time to cutting vinyl and things of that nature. Now, it's a little bit more of, of an alchemy because uh, I feel that as a mastering engineer, we're taking something that's already sounding pretty good, hopefully, depending on the mixes, and then we're going to you know, em- embellish that. We're going to make that better. We're going to enhance it. Sometimes that could mean running it through a series of different processes, which is EQ, compression, limiting, stereo enhancement, saturation of some kind, adding a little bit of reverb, what have you. Every engineer is different as to what they do. There are a lot of stories out there that I, that I read about one particular mastering engineer liking to take something and running it through a preamp to give it some warmth, which is pretty gnarly, but everyone does things different. I myself utilize the Burrow B2 Bomber for that specific reason, you know, in case I get something that's a little sterile or I feel that it can be a little bit more musical in terms of the, the vibe, then I got my B2 Bomber for that. And then I have my surgical tools like the Elysia X-Filter Rack, which is an EQ, which is pretty solid. The TK Lizer, which is a, a Bax EQ, kind of kind of like the Dangerous Bax. But this one has a pretty cool function of doing MS. And it has, a, I believe, four different bands we can work with. 
yeah, low, mid, high, and then a roll off. So three different bands. Let's roll off, which is pretty cool. I think the backs only gives you high end, low end roll off, and then mid and high, but still a badass piece of equipment. And then from there, if I wanted to add a little bit more of a aggressive vibe to it, I'm rocking the JDK Audio R24 EQ. It gets a little harder with that one because it's it, there's no like dented pots or anything like that. So I try to be very exact in my measurements, or not my measurements, but in my EQing and things of that nature so that it can be true for both the left and right field. Unfortunately, there's no stereo mode. It's just dual mono, so you kind of have to use your ears for that. And then after that, um, I do all my compression inside the box. I know I have the you know VLA 2 here, but that's mostly for the podcast and my vocals. All my compression is done inside the box. That'll range anywhere from using an API 2500 compressor to the Slate digital stuff. And I have a bunch of other ones too, like the isotope stuff, but I can't remember off the top of my head what else I use. I know I have a SK Note Shadow Hills compressor kind of a thing. So that's interesting. Not sure if I like it for mastering yet. I've yet to use it, but I have used that on mixing or in mixing for drum bus and vocals, and that sounded pretty pretty legit. So yeah, so those are a bit of the tools that you use. There's also the converter that you're using. So of course I'm using the B2 Bomber, but aside that I'm also using the RedNet system. And when you're listening back to any type of recording, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you have converters that are going to be very, very clear and pristine and not add any coloration so that anytime you make any type of changes, you can hear those changes happening. Now, some people are, are going to have a different philosophy when it comes to this. I try to keep it as basic as possible, where if it sounds, you know, if it already sounds good coming out of the converters, then that means that the mix is already going to be sounding good anywhere else, or at least to my experience and knowledge. Now, if you have converters that color the sound as you're listening to it, that's definitely going to sound different when you take it somewhere else. So conversion is, you know, or the converter you're using is very important because you don't want it to add any type of coloration, but you do want it to be very clear and pristine so that you can hear, you know, all the frequencies in the spectrum so that if you make a change on the EQ or a multiband compressor, you're able to hear it right away. And then the other tool, you know, that's important is, you know, your ears, your monitoring environment, the acoustical space that you're using. It's rather unfortunate because of the environment I'm in, but the room we're at has pretty high ceilings and it's a pretty long room. And we somewhat treated it so that it's not too dead, but enough that there's not a lot of uh, reflections bouncing back and forth. It could be a little bit better because I am not an acoustician, so... Maybe down the line, I will hire someone to build out a room for me and we'll go from there. But for now, this is working. If I need an AB, I can always go to headphones or, you know, plug my computer into my car. I do have a laptop. So we are living in a, in a time and age where this is pretty simple. It's just a matter of finding a way for it to work for you. So what is mastering? Mastering is a term most commonly used to refer to the process of taking an audio mix and preparing it for distribution. 
There are several considerations in this process. Unifying the sound of a record, maintaining consistency across an album, and preparing for distribution. What does that mean? Well, when I first got into this, the very first thing I thought of was, what the fuck is distribution? What are we, drug lords? I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't pinpoint it and I just was at a loss. When I learned about mastering, I learned the hard way because I would record bands and we would just release shit, right? Release things out to the world because we didn't know any better. We were just punk ass kids in punk bands and metal bands. And we wanted to get our music out there so that people can listen. And we thought that's how we're going to get signed. Well, little did we know, one, our production quality sucked ass. Two, we weren't putting out a product that people were able to just put into their car, CD player, tape player, or what have you. And it was going to be going up against things that were already, you know, mastered. So the difference between something that was mastered and something that wasn't was like night and day. And I just couldn't figure it out. And it went, I went maybe years without ever actually asking the right questions to any engineers. You know, I would always say I need it to be louder. And, you know, we would crank the volume up to a certain extent and then sound distorted. But we didn't realize that there was a process that needed to be done so that when we actually sent it out to people to listen to and they put it in their stereo system, it was going to sound fucking amazing. And it was going to compare to the things that were out there. I mean, compare in terms of level and consistency, because obviously at the time I sucked as an engineer and I wasn't using or utilizing most of my brain when it came to doing this. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Preparing for distribution. Pretty much what that means is you're going to take something and you're going to make sure that it sounds just as good, if not better, with shit that's already out there. So if you put your CD or if you, you know, distribute something via Spotify and then something from a major label gets, you know, placed after you, it's going to be comparable to it, if not better, depending on your mastering engineer and a whole other thing, a sl- onslaught of things. But if you're going to go that route, if you want to send this out to the masses so that they can listen, then you need mastering. You want to make sure that it's going to hold up against stuff that's already been released. Now, that's not to say everything needs to be loud, but you do benefit from having someone take a listen to that mix and saying, hey, this sounds fucking amazing. It, I feel that it can use a little bit more of this, this, and that, and then it's going to fucking stand out a lot more than that. You got to remember, a mastering engineer is not there when you're actually writing the music, recording, doing the pre-production and the production work, down to editing and mixing. So this professional is going to then listen to something that they've never listened to before. And then they're going to try to make that sound better. So they have an objective ear. You know, they're, they're not going to be like, well, I was there when they recorded this and I see that I, I, I understand why they want to do this. No, his whole thing is going to be like, great. If I do this, is this song going to sound better? Yay or nay? Nay. Okay. I don't need to do this. I'll try something else. If I do this, is the sound going to sound better? Yes. Awesome. Let's see what happens if I apply the same type of processing to another song. Oh, guess what? It's a little bit different. Let me adjust that so they can be somewhat consistent. They're not going to apply a plugin, at least I hope not, 
that's going to have a preset and then you're going to go, bam, that's the sound. It takes more than that. It takes years of listening to music critically to know that if you move a knob or you press a button, you know exactly what that's going to do to the sound. Unfortunately, we live in a time where everybody wants to sell a product that you just push a button or two and boom, you're going to get an amazing sound. That might be so in certain cases, but it's not always going to be 100%. I can tell you this from experience. I used to be a dumbass that would go out there and buy these plugins and then think, fuck yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fucking compete with whatever's out there. But there's more to it. There's not just that one plugin. There's understanding the, the process of equalization and how that affects everything as a whole rather than hey, I need more low-end because I need to make sure that the kick or the bass stands out more. You start moving that lower frequency you know, up and down, that, does, that doesn't just affect the bass or the kick. That's affecting the whole spectrum of frequencies, both in stereo and mono, of course, and, and that's going to change the sound. So these are things that a mastering engineer has in their mind or have in their mind whenever they're actually moving things and adding things on and off. And they're not listening to, to, hey, I like this, the way this sounds. It's more like, no, this isn't helping it. I need to take this out. Let me try this. Another benefit of using a mastering engineer is that you now have someone dedicated to making your mixes that much fucking better. Now, you can argue and say that Lander or any of those online mastering services are just as good but you can never actually talk to someone and be like hey here's the album that i was listening to this is what i want you to reference that to and please make it sound as good to this if not compete with this a mastering engineer is then going to take that listen to your reference and think okay cool i see what they're going for let me apply this let me do this let me do that and then boom send you something out Whereas if you send it up, send it to Lander or any of these online mastering things, they use an algorithm and a preset, at least to what I understood when I went to their site, and then they send it to you. Now, it's, it's an automated process, and automation is good for a lot of things, but I don't think it's good when it comes to your music or your audio. It's just, to me, you need someone who has years of experience that they can then take that experience and apply it to your project. And sometimes people argue, well, the cost, you know, A, B, C, and D. You know, the question then comes to mind, if you cared so much about cost, why did you, know, you spend so much money on your guitar or your drums or things of that nature? Now, if you're playing shitty instruments and you paid some dude five bucks an hour to record your album, then I understand. You're just, you know, that's not something that's on top of your mind. But if you're trying to compete, if you're trying to get a record deal or I don't know, you, you, you want to, you want people to take you somewhat serious, then using an actual mastering engineer is going to help you because then they're going to take your, your project and they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to take this shit to the next level. But that's just my ramblings of a mastering engineer. You know, other things that mastering engineers do is, Aside from utilizing your experience, they utilize badass fucking gear. 
that some of us don't have access to. Like even me as a mastering engineer, I have access to, you know, pretty cool stuff here that I know works for me and I, I know gives me great results. But there are some fucking amazing studios out there mastering wise that have a plethora of gear that may or may not benefit you, but at least it's there in the event that they feel like, hey, I think that I can run this mix through, you know, a Massalit EQ and it's going to sound better or a manly passive, you know, EQ and it's going to fucking make it stand out a little bit more. Or I got this fucking badass tube compressor that I know is going to give it that warmth that it needs. And sometimes when you don't have those tools, you have to, re- you know, resort to using, you know, digital tools like plugins and things of that nature. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do feel that using analog circuitry in the mastering stage is fucking definitely amazing and you get amazing results. And I can tell you this from experience as a mastering engineer that when I send stuff through my EQs, it's pretty fucking amazing. Let's not take anything away from plugins because they've come a long way and there are some amazing fucking plugins out there that you can do a lot of cool shit with in the box. And I've done those sessions too where I had to do it in the box because that's just what I needed to do at the time. Or I tried all the analog gear and I was like, ah, it's really not helping. Let me do it in the box. Or I just wanted to be quick and dirty and I did it in, in the box and it worked. So everything has its, its moment and its place. All right, then. That's that on mastering. If you want more information on mastering, you know, shoot me an email or check out my website and then you can uh, send me an email via there. Or use YouTube. There's a lot of great articles and videos out there for mastering engineers that are fucking amazing. And I implore you to take a look at them so that you can see what they're doing. Another cool company that's really into mastering is Isotope. You know, check out their blogs and their articles because they have some pretty cool stuff there. That's that on mastering. You'll probably hear me go back on this sometime later down the line in 2018 where I'm complaining about shit. But for now, I just want to finish this beer, wrap up this podcast, and then uh, go about my day. So one last thing that I'd like to go over. The last thing I'd like to go over is the topic of monitors. And for those that don't know, monitors are not, you know, computer monitors or TV monitors, but monitors as in studio monitors or speakers, if you will. So I'm currently in the market for a new set of monitors for the mastering studio here. We're also looking for some at the Shelter Studios. It's been a bit of an interesting situation because there's so many companies out there And a lot of them have great reputations, but just because they have a great reputation doesn't mean that the monitors are going to be pleasant to you or they're going to work for you. So it's been a bit of a bit of an ongoing thing, close to a year now between figuring out what monitors are going to work best for me here and what monitors are going to be best at the shelter studios. And luckily we do have a lot of resources like online, uh, forums, people that work at actual, you know, places like Vintage King or Sweetwater that we can reach out to. But of course, you know, we kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, they're trying to make a sale and they're probably trying to 
boost sales for a certain company because they have some sort of incentive. Uh, you know, I could be wrong. Hopefully I am. But I found that the best way to actually pinpoint what monitors are going to work for you is by actually listening to them. And I've uh, listened to a lot of monitors uh, in the last year. And I need to kind of listen to a few more just so I can see if my ears are going to get tired or if they're pleasant to me. And I need to listen to them with music that I know I'm going to enjoy. When I was trying to do it this, this past month, the month of November and December, I was definitely going to blast a lot of Christmas music because it's the holidays and I love Christmas. I love fucking Christmas music. It's the one time a year where I actually listen to Michael Bublé. After that, I don't know who he is. I, I'm just like, man, who is that guy? Until Thanksgiving night rolls around and I'm okay playing Christmas music. And I'm like, welcome back, Michael. It's been a long year. And then when you know Christmas season is over, after the new year, I'm just like, all right, bro. I'll see you next year. And I'll listen to any of his shit. I don't listen to any of his shit. I don't care you know, about what he's got going on in life until it's Christmas time. I don't know why I rambled on about that. That was just weird. I'm sorry about that. Anywho, back to monitors. So it's easy to get lost in this whole world of elitism when it comes to monitors because everyone and their mother is going to have an opinion just like anything else. Like my last episode when I said everyone has an opinion. Doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Doesn't mean that they're right. But it's there. One thing that I found is reaching out to people that have a certain monitor or a certain brand of monitors that you're kind of lurking, uh, looking into. And luckily, I've had a bunch of people who are working with a different series of monitors, you know, Yamahas, KRKs, uh, Neumanns, you know, PCMs or PMCs, I can't remember, and uh, ATCs, things of that nature. So everyone tells me a little bit about what they're doing when they're using those monitors, whether they're mixing, mastering, recording, or, you know, recreational listening. And then they let me know how that makes them feel when they listen back to a mix or just anything that they're referencing in those monitors. I would say if you're looking for monitors, don't get caught up in this hype about this engineer is using them or this artist is using them. That's fine. But remember, your ears are different than anyone else. So just because I like clarity when I listen to music doesn't mean that the person next to me is going to like clarity. They might like more lower end or they might like more of a presence. So they're going to prefer monitors that are very, very aggressive and emit frequencies. Whereas me, I like for everything to be neutral, maybe a little bit of a bump in the higher frequencies just so, you know, give it some air. But that's just me. Of course, you know, the application is going to be different. So if you're just doing recreational listening, maybe listening to monitors that are hyped at the lower frequencies are going to be good for you. Or if you're like me and you want to listen to the mix the way it was intended, the neutral sounding speakers or monitors are going to be what I want to go for, especially for mastering. All right. And on that note, like to wrap it up here because my uh, neighbors are about to make a shit ton of uh, noise. 
And I got uh, stuff to do, like edit this podcast to uh, upload it. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or you want to hear a certain topic, or you know of someone that would be an amazing guest, send me an email, info at gearandbeerspodcast.com. You can find that information on the show notes, along with any information that we went over today. I'd like to wish you all a happy new year. Be safe. Be merry. And if you're going to drink, don't drive. Use an Uber or Lyft. Money well spent. And that's it. Goodbye. Happy New Year, everybody.